0: Hello and welcome to Potshot. I'm Alex Towels and I am joined by two men who have recently signed four-year contracts on £0 a week. Hello, Alex Cullings and Seb Hund. How are we doing? Not too bad, not too bad. How are you, Towels? I am well. Seb, how is Germany treating you?
1: It is very German indeed. <laughs> well,
0: we recently learned that Seb doesn't like beer, so it can't be that German. <laughs>
1: It's not that I don't like it, it's that I'm not the biggest fan of it.
0: That's just saying you don't like it.
2: (laughs) And Taz is a cider drinker, so between the three of us...
0: (laughs) Sorry, I hit the stereotypes for my local area. (laughs) Today we are going to discuss losing 1-0 to Nottingham Forest, whether or not we care that we lost 1-0 to Nottingham Forest, and then we're going to answer... A variety of questions provided by you, our dear listeners. So let's get straight into it. Nottingham Forest won Arsenal nil. The most interesting thing you could see before the game was that Mikel Arteta had answered Alex Collins's prayers. He had decided to play Thomas Partey at right back. This was on the right of a back four that had Kivior at left back, meaning that we were kind of mirroring the system that we normally go for. Normally, obviously, we have Ben White as a right centre back and then Zinchenko on the left, inverting. Today we had Partey on the as a right back, inverting with Kivior as a left back, tucking inside as more of a centre back. Alex, what do you make of? Arteta answering all of your hopes and dreams
2: as with what we have been seeing from Arteta I feel like it was too late into the season and I wish that this had been tried many games before maybe five six games before I'm not sure when West Ham and the Southampton games were happening but that felt like it would have been a good time so I won't lie it's not like I had a great thing of joy I think I'm somewhat tapped out of the season from a investment in what we do every game um but it was it was interesting to see it was cool to see um at least from somewhat of an intellectual point of view rather than anything to do with it changing our season so that's very much where i'm at on that well we lost the football match
0: so are you going to be taking a are you going to be taking your l as it has been served
2: Well, it's interesting because when I watched the game the first time around, and I won't say that, I think what we kind of agreed between all three of us is that we were kind of watching it sadly without too much, you know, going on in terms of trying to figure out what was happening. But I did get the impression that Partey, I was frustrated with Partey throughout the game, definitely in terms of his withholding, um, you know, staying too narrow. It just seems, and it kind of feeds into the ideas that we've spoken about and my general impression of Partey's. Not a particularly intelligent footballer in possession in terms of his decisions in possession, in terms of his positioning in possession. Um, and I think even moving him up to right back, a position he has played before, maybe not in the same way as we've been using our fullbacks this season. But yeah, that kind of confirmed that. I mean, it is just one game, to be fair. And we had seen a, a you know development in Ben White's um, in how he plays right back over the course of the season even. But on rewatch, I think he did better at right back than I thought he did. And I think his general positioning wasn't as bad. So maybe this was a sort of thing when you're watching it and you're kind of feeding into your biases a bit. I think rewatching it on the tactical cam, it wasn't nearly as bad. And it does make me feel at least, um, alongside how, you know, well Jorginho played. I think he was our best player in that match. Um, I don't know. For me, it, it confirms my feelings that I'd wished we'd seen Partey played at right back, if anything. And, you know, I think it's something that could have been developed over a couple of games, even if it wasn't maybe the perfect right back performance yet.
0: Seb, we've heard you rail against Partey at defensive midfield during your time on the podcast.
1: Are you going to be railing against Partey at
0: right back as well?
1: So I generally agree that Pate had a good game. I don't think he was actually playing the jo- the the role as uh, Zinchenko would on the other side. He was uh inverting into the double pivot far less than uh in normal games, but he did do his role fairly well. He's f- <clears throat> he found uh his positions to create triangles on the on the wings in attacking movements relatively well. Although it must be said that in the follow-up of those actions, he often didn't really know what his next action was going to be. He didn't know whether to overlap or to stay behind and offer a receiving option. So there were obviously still problems, but I think that comes with the territory of playing a, in a new position altogether in a relatively complex system. Uh, but I do think he... If we were to use him more consistently next season I do think having him split his time in both roles depending on the game we're playing would be a good idea
2: rather than him just being a plug-and-play number six I mean when we speak about an inverted fullback it doesn't mean the whole time they're spending at narrow rights they actually are moving out and that's part of the decision making of those players is when to hold with, when to come quite narrow. Um, even pulling... It, it's. It, I think it's a very important part of what it means to be a fullback in the modern game. Someone that maybe most of the listeners wouldn't have watched much of is Leo Dubois for Lyon. And he always got a lot of criticism because he wasn't particularly athletic and stuff, but he was an intelligent footballer. And the reason that he played for so long ahead of guys like Malo Augusto and stuff is just that intelligence of knowing when to hold with and when to come narrow. And I think... Zinchenko does that quite well, has a good intuition for it, definitely after years of playing under Pep. Um, I think Parte didn't show nearly as much intuition of when to hold wide and when to come narrow, but obviously as part of the game he would have known that here at these points you come a bit wide, ensure that there's that sort of triangulation and access to to Saka, which actually on, on our rewatch, which we all watched together, I think he did find Saka quite a few times and it's a it's a position that I think can work for him because, like I said before, I don't think, I don't, I, we have lots of issues, I think the three of us, with his decision-making on the ball. And a lot of that is because he doesn't really play against the grain too much. And by that, I mean sort of playing the pass back against where the press is pushing you or maybe the unexpected sort of pass. He'll always kind of pass to the, the player that's made open. But the nice thing, with our system at least, as it currently is, is when it gets to the fullback, that access into, into the winger ahead is usually the right play, even if it's the obvious play. So I think that suits him. Having said that, I don't think he was great in terms of his withholding, even if it was better than the first time we were watching it. But I agree with um, with said that it's something that I, I wish we'd kind of seen maybe grow over a lot of games because there was... There was more promise than I thought when I first watched. And I think defensively it worked out well. The other thing I kind of wanted to touch on is I thought Ben White at at centre-back looked really good. Um, He was, you know, as penetrative... He's the most penetrative of our defensive players, maybe bar Zinchenko, but I think even more so than Zinchenko in certain ways. Um, And it was nice seeing him in the middle. It's another one of these things of what could have been, I think, using him centrally really especially when we lost Saliba who's able to penetrate in a much different way more so you know those negative touches inviting the pressure and then playing through it Ben White can kind of just play through a block in any case um it's just another one of those things like what could have been if we'd made different decisions earlier in the season and I think he handled the physical battles pretty well actually um and there was a good understanding between himself and Gabriel as well that hasn't been lost since last season
0: over on the other side Um, We saw, as mentioned earlier, Kivior playing as a left-back, which is something I think we kind of mused on maybe happening before. Seb, what did you
1: make of his performance? I found it quite hard to judge him because the the overall dynamics of how we played, especially with Trosser on his side, who just 20 minutes in, decided not to ever hold the width anymore. Uh, Congested the field far too much to the right for him to have any sort of tangible involvement in the game that we can judge on.
2: I think he did look pretty decent in certain... I mean, I agree. I think the whole game was kind of slanted to the right for us, um, which is an issue we'll get onto with regards to there being no Martinelli just now. But I do think, especially right at the beginning of the second half, those 15 minutes before he got subbed, um, which I think he just got subbed lacking seniority, one of those things. I think he looked, yeah, Seba's showing us the slant, and it is a very nice, <laughs> like, diagonal across with Kivio holding right next to Gabriel. But I think in, this, in the second half, he did have some really nice moments higher up. I think he's quite secure in possession, even high. Maybe not dangerous in a sense there, but we don't necessarily need that from what he offers as of yet. So I thought it was a good performance in general. I think we'll speak about him later when we get to the Q&A, but I think think he's come through and looked more and more secure with each game, in possession at least.
0: So while Alex was talking there, Serb held up the average position graph for Arsenal during the game and... As Alex alluded to, and Seb alluded to, uh, Trossard spent the vast majority of the game inside, uh, cutting inside from the right, not really holding width particularly well at all. And you can see on the average position graph, he is pretty perfectly in the right half space, and quite far back in that half space as well. So, Seb, you alluded to um, Trossa's aversion to holding width in this game. Yeah. How do you think it affected our ability to attack? And what do you think having, say, Martinelli in the left-wing position
1: would have done differently? I think it's about two things mainly. It's one, discipline to hold your position. And also just having the requisite attributes to then actually do something when you get the ball in those positions like Trossard's just not the most dynamic 1v1 player we have and that means he wants to come and sort of combine with his teammates and through the game state where uh, we had where we conceded a relatively unlucky goal after 20 minutes and the fact that we did create that slant through Trossard coming more central we sort of Played in a way where we needed to play through the right hand side and create our way through half of the pitch to ever stand a chance of scoring a goal because we never stretched them because we never had that out ball on the, uh, on the left hand side, which would then make them sort of decongest their low block in any way. So we, ju- which then led to most of our attacks that we actually built quite well through the first and second uh, thirds of the pitch, dying at the feet of Saka because he was standing with
2: three people on him and a crowded penalty area. I think that was the main issue. One thing on the rewatch as well is I realized that I think our deep build up was actually pretty good. The problem was arriving into the final third, there wasn't a final third shape or personnel, I guess, both of those things to actually... To add that bite into our attacks, I think our territory. I think Jorginho did a great job I spoke about. Um, And yeah, part of it was Trossard just not having that ability wide. This was my big doubt with Trossard when we got him. I think he's done really, really well in the central spaces. He was a really good substitute for for Gabi J in, you know, allowing us to kind of recreate the system we had that we lost when Gabi J wasn't available and we only had Eddie. Um... But in the wider areas, Trussell still leaves me quite cold. Um, and what Seb was speaking about with regards to discipline, I think, even Pep was actually speaking about it this week, about how it's actually really hard to have the best footballers in the world and coach them because they all want to be the protagonist. And then you have to tell them, sit on the left wing, you're going to be there for three minutes, maybe four minutes, but you have to wait. We don't know Arteta's instructions how much. I think Arteta does want a bit more of a fluid final third fluid into the final third with the movement from his players. But I think Trossard does kind of come narrow, come central even, because he knows that's where he's most effective and has been most effective for us. But the system benefits from him holding width. And I actually think what we saw is even though Trossard kind of looked neat in those spaces, kept the ball moving, the problem was is that Xhaka became quite redundant. He had a very quiet game in that regard. um, And spaces weren't opened up for him to really be able to exploit, which he does need. That's part of the thing that we need from him. And as well, I think Odegaard, because it became so crunched, Odegaard also lacked influence. So we kind of, you know, we dealt well with that maintenance through the middle and then trying to work some sort of thing with our, like, right slant. But we, because we didn't have someone camped wide and actually able to affect the game wide, it just, it we, we ultimately lacked that bite, even ignoring... You know, Martinelli's natural goal threat.
0: I think it's worth saying that this wouldn't have been a problem if, say, Jesus had rotated wide to hold that space, or Xhaka, who, as you mentioned, was redundant, had rotated wide to hold that space, or Kivior had pushed up wide to hold that space. The point isn't that Trossard has to be the guy to be there, it's that we need someone out there, or we're Squishing the pitch too much, and either players become redundant, or we just don't have the space for the players to operate
1: effectively. I think trossa is a manageable option on the left hand side, but it doesn't work if you surround him by players that can't do anything in the spaces he vacates right like if you have Kirantini playing that game, you can switch your your sort of uh spacing around to a point where. You have effective players in the zones that they like to operate in. But having Kivio there, he's not comfortable out wide. Jaka does his worst work in that position when he's on the touchline. And Chossa is also least effective there. So that combination of those three on that side did really kill dynamics over there.
2: I mean I mean sure, I I take that point, but the reality was is if we're looking why it didn't work, it's because we didn't have Tierney. There was no solution for yeah, that wide yeah. space, which is Or even Emil Smith Rowe. Well, yeah, I mean this is what I was speaking about when we were watching it. I think even having Smith Rowe as someone instead of Jaka would have been really, really interesting yeah. because he can pull wide, he can hold the width when Trosser comes narrow. And also he's a bit more of a needle player, far more of a needle player than Jaka. To actually if we're gonna have those tight combinations, having someone who can you know, you can thread it through and kind of create something through those central channels, which Jaka can't do with so little space and such quick, tight connections, I think. Obviously, I think Reese is probably the one who should have started the game instead of Trossard, because I think he has the the physicality enough. And he also has the discipline to kind of wait and hold wide, more so than Trossard has shown, I think. Yeah,
0: I agree. Why do you think Arteta's not been starting nelson like do you think it's just because it seems like he's not going to be here next season
2: so i know that's not who you asked but i kind of understand i think with smith Rowe, Arteta's quite cold on smith row right now for whatever reason so even though i disagree with that i would have loved smith row to at least been given the chance to prove himself a little bit but maybe he's not doing it on the training ground which arteta thinks then from a meritocratic point of view means he shouldn't be given that chance with regards to Reese Nelson, I'm just not sure. It seems like Arteta is quite a big fan. We know that he's offered him a contract till 2027. By all accounts, Reese Nelson has been doing a lot with the show me something minutes he's been given. And I think he would have been a better option in this game. I'm not sure how much of it comes down to seniority. I think we've seen this with Arteta in his young managerial career, that he does give a lot of options to the older guys who come in and are more senior, which Trossard would be. Um, but it, it it is something that puzzles me, especially if we are trying to offer Reese a contract. I know in the last episode, which I wasn't on, you guys spoke about how giving Reese starts in the last two games. Obviously, he didn't get that start in the... He didn't get a start in the last game either. But I still think it would make sense for Arteta to at least give them, show them that willingness if he does want to to sign him on. But yeah, I I struggle to explain why I think someone like Saka actually had a good game but has been laboring a bit recently. It would also make sense to maybe, now that the season's done, maybe give Reese a chance on the right, if not the left. And I'm a bit higher on Reese's impact from the right than others seem to be, even if I do agree he's probably best off the left as well.
1: What it feels like to me, and I could be wrong here, this is purely sort of conjecture, is that there's a very clear sort of hierarchical structure to who plays in what position, 1A, 1B, and those sort of supersede who's actually fit to play, uh, who, who's actually stylistically more fit to play the game. than uh Because we've seen Trossard as the first sub on the left-hand side if Martinelli isn't available, Vieira for Shaka, even if there were stylistically better fitting options there, and even withholding with keeping him in as sort of the direct replacement for Saliba when it became clear that there are stylistic problems with that. um, So that's something I sort of dislike about the way we currently manage our squad because what that means is that players who are sort of completely out of the rotation come back in and are expected to immediately be at 100%, even if they haven't played any minutes for a prolonged period of time. Taking a wider view of this
0: game, how apathetic are we towards this result and the game against Wolves at the weekend? I've seen lots of discussion of how this could be a bad thing going into next season how it's fine and it doesn't matter and we'll just come back the same like we'll 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 be able to hit a refresh button over the summer what side of that do you guys fall on
1: i'm personally quite apathetic especially about the nottingham forest game because that just felt completely inconsequential right like the wolves game at least has the thing of being the last home game, of sort of being a stage for celebrating the team for the season they've just had, while well, the Nottingham Forest game was a team that just lost the league versus a team that's fighting to stay in it, so that was only ever going to be a sort of inconsequential game. Um <clears throat> I don't necessarily think the end of the season will have much of a sort of Psychological effect on how we play next season. We've since before we've seen last season we lost the second to last game of the season in dramatically bad fashion, choking top four, and we came back incredibly well in preseason. So I don't necessarily think that will have much of a bearing on it, especially considering the uh amount of new faces we're expecting to see next year.
2: Yeah, I don't I don't think this is gonna carry over into next season. I think it is to some extent uh like a hangover, emotional hangover we're kind of seeing at the moment, yeah. especially since the league fell through our grasp. I I think the team looks a, l- a lot more tired. I think Jorginho was maybe the most active awake member in the team and you you could see guys like Saka and Gabi J were a little bit more maybe I'm, I'm projecting like ideas here but everyone looks a little bit more drained a little bit less intense I don't think that's going to carry on to next season I think the squad feels good about the season that they've had I think Arteta is very good at motivating and keeping that longer term idea that said is a very disappointing end to the season, just to kind of see us, that whole idea of going out with your head held high, I think we're not really doing that, we're kind of going off, dragging our feet a bit and thinking about next season rather than this one, which is fine, and I understand it from an emotional point of view, I think this this team has gone through a lot, has done really well, so I'm, I'm not feeling like angry or anything, it's just you would have wanted them to maybe hit 87 points or something, because I think especially that first half of the season, was deserving of that tally. Um, Obviously more so that first half of the season. But yeah, I'm I'm not not reading too much into it. The main thing I'm actually taking from these last few games is just frustration with Arteta a little bit. As good as he has been otherwise, I think the frustration with his tactical decisions more so than anything else. So obviously last
0: season we won our last game 5-1, which was quite nice. Hopefully we'll see a repeat result repeat performance to close out the season against wolves on sunday but in the meantime let's take a break before we come back and answer your questions okay so we asked recently for your questions and we got lots of good ones uh we are not going to be able to answer all of them but uh we are going to try and answer as many as we can uh we're going to focus on the more tactics-y ones. Uh, the ones about, like, specific transfer strategy, we're going to leave for now as we've got some transfer-related content coming up in the next few weeks once the season ends. Um, there's also one question I want to give Henry a shout out because he asked about our defensive drop-off post-World Cup. Uh, we answered that in depth on episode 23, Seb's first ever appearance on the pod. And, our opinions haven't really changed since then so I'll link that in the description and you can go and check that one out Henry. Our first question comes from Kian who says what do you think about Arteta's insistence on using Jesus up top? He played wide a lot for City but with Eddie in the chaser game set up earlier in the season and Trossard against Forest those players take up wide positions rather than Jesus and I'm not sure it suits either of them. Alex what
2: do you make of it? I agree completely. It's something that has confused me. Why I think Teta insists on playing Jesus at centre-forward, nominally at least, is I think it has something to do with the confidence he wants to instill in in Jesus as a player and and how Jesus thinks of himself, particularly telling with the comments that were made when he first joined from City about how he realises he's a centre-forward again, something that he'd actually said I think to Tite Brazil's managers that he didn't think of himself as a 9 anymore because he'd lost confidence in front of goal but he said that he, that had come back under Arteta he feels he can express himself more play centrally more um and dictate the game you know that he has the trust in the coach to dictate the game where he needs to how he needs to from that center forward position and I think Arteta kind of views that um has that same view that that'll instill and that'll get the best out of Jesus that said though, I still I we spoke about this in the earlier pods. Like maybe the first real issues I was having with Arteta's decision making this season was when Eddie was coming off the bench and he would be coming off from on for Martinelli and be playing the left wing role, which just didn't make sense to me because Eddie wasn't good there. Jesus, I think he's best at center forward, but I still think he's very good on either side. He's actually an incredibly good player to have because I think he's a great starter whether it, it's at left wing, centre forward or right wing. And I don't get why, even if he is our number one forward, um, centre forward as Arteta, you know, I think wants to make him feel and wants to show that trust. I still think for games like that, that switch just for, you know, 20 minutes in a game or whatever, or the odd game playing out wide from the start, isn't going to like, you know, make, Gabby J think he's not a central forward anymore or something like that so that's my you know again just the impression I have I think we would have been much better against Forrest if we had Gabby J starting on the left and you know Trosser playing centrally and I think Trosser's been a much better false nine for us than he has been on either of the wings so it's something that confuses me too uh I don't think we'll get into it too much but I'm I'm interested what happens if Arteta does end up going for a you know a big number nine um in the summer, which there does seem that possibility for and, and what happens to um Gabby Jesus' role as a result.
0: So my first thought while reading this question, and I'm curious if you think this is a thing or not, uh, is like about like the roles that these guys take up in our attacking system. It feels certainly to me at least like Martinelli, especially on the left wing, is our primary goal scorer, and that shows in the fact that he is our joint top scorer for this season alongside Erdegaard. Do you think that because Jesus, through the centre, is more of a facilitator, when he brings Eddie on, who is a goal scorer, he wants to like swap the goal scoring role on the left wing, do you think that's something that is... Factoring
2: into Arteta's decision making when leaving Jesus through the middle, potentially, and I have thought about that, but that just it that's frustrating in a different way because it's far too rigid. Because part of why you know we have our left wing or our left wide forward as the primary out scoring outlet is because it's Martinelli there and he's good at scoring from wide positions. As soon as you bring Eddie there, he's actually not that good at scoring for, from wide positions at all. Um, so it doesn't make sense. And I think Gabby J is still someone who's a lot of goal threat from wide. So I think it could potentially be, but that would be a little bit like frustrating because that's just an overly rigid way of looking at the game. I think also in terms of impacting the game, someone like Ten Hag has been really good at that this season, especially the first half is changing the roles up during the game and actually, you know, tests the opposition defense in a completely different way. I don't think we should be trying to test the defense in the same way, just putting, okay. Eddie, you go on and you try to do what Martinelli was doing. Gabby, J, you'll stay there for the rotations. Yeah, so that's, that's sort of my thinking there, is that it's potentially the reason, but it's it would be a frustrating and I think just wrong way of looking at how to make these changes, um, if so.
0: Seb, do you have anything to add on this one?
1: No, I completely agree, especially considering... He's one of our most versatile players in the group. And if we were to continue with a relatively small group, we should tr- at least try to maximise the the value each of those guys bring. And I don't think we do that if we play Jesus at nine when Chaucer plays on the left. So Kian
0: asked a few questions. He also asked... We saw a mixed bag from Kivior since he came into the side. Do you think his integration earlier would have changed things? I think we answered this one pretty well earlier in the show, so I don't really want to focus on it. I instead, we'll focus on Kian's third and final question. Aside from more quality in the squad, what are the key things we need to address going forward to avoid another drop-off in crunch time? Seb, what do you make of this?
1: I've thought about this quite a bit and I think it links back to what we've been talking about forever now. And that's just a more effective way of managing the entire squad. Like we've been excellent at code and at managing like 20, 12 to 13 players playing well, playing in very, very, uh, customized positions for them and very specialized roles each. The moment one of these roles or, uh, Loses itself by the player going away and someone else having to slot in there. The entire system immediately loses a bit of quality it had earlier, and I think that we had capable pieces. And I think that links back to his first, uh, to to Kian's first point about Kivio. We had able pieces in the squad that we just needed to adapt slightly to better the overall quality of our squad. And through not doing that and persisting with the obvious choice, that cost us points and it also caused some players uh, to have to play more than they perhaps should have, which then also led to losing them, having to bring in new players. And that cycle continues.
2: Yeah, I agree. I think one of the things we can also speak about is to an extent I don't really blame Arteta we had to play our best players to keep winning um, and you know in another, in another world or another reality we're criticising him for trying to, to change up the team too much for benching Saka or benching Odega when we need to use our best players to win games so I think this is something that we'll be, we'll be judging him on next season when hopefully we have a deeper squad but I agree absolutely with the tactical changes, the lack of tactical changes rather and I do think if you look at City and how they actually managed to go into the final stretch of every season, so, so, so good, it's because Pep has been meticulous and been really careful about the rotation of his squad and who comes in where and when, making sure that actually his squad is by far the freshest at the point of the season where all the other squads are actually drained a bit. And then that in quality becomes even more noticeable. Whereas with us, our team was becoming more and more tired. I think. Basically, even you know, after like let's say February or something, there was there was lower intensity than it we'd been seeing earlier in the season. Partly maybe because of the World Cup, I'm not sure um, how that actually affected things. But the difference between the intensity with which with which city we're playing in that stretch, and in terms of the changes of the players that had come into the team compared to us, is a big reason why we fell away beyond them being the better team in the second half of the season. I mean, it's part of the reason why they're the better team in the second half of the season.
1: Yeah.
2: On
0: that note, Jafar asks, Saka's accumulated minutes? Is that going to
2: be a problem? And if so, when? So I've been thinking about this a lot. Um, I'm, maybe because I've seen too many Arsenal, young Arsenal players, you know, fall away because of how much they played when they're young. I'm always scared that this is going to lead to him having, you know, an earlier prime and kind of dropping off as a player as he gets older. There's also, there is a lot of correlation between minutes played before a certain age and then minutes played after a certain age for players as they kind of, their careers get a little bit curtailed by by how much they played beforehand. But let's even assuming, and I think we can to some degree, we don't know the medical sort of... Analysis that goes into how fit Saka is, but I do think we've seen Saka burn out a little bit. And again, this kind of links into that above um, point from Kian is having more of a rotation, keeping these players fit and mentally fit as well as, as, um, you know, physically refreshed will be a big thing for next season. And I would like to see Saka, despite being our, you know, best or second best player, maybe play a little bit less at this age the other, the other side of that is that the best players in the world do only miss two to three games a season, which is kind of in line with what Saka has played. But, but yeah, I I do think seeing how Saka has kind of faded a little bit, I would go with that in mind into next season. Gab
0: asked a question which is also quite similar to some of the stuff we were discussing when answering Kian's. He says, when it comes to squad building slash planning, do you think it's more important to prioritise having backup players with similar profiles to starters so that you can retain the same play style if you need to rotate, or with different profiles so you can chain styles mid-game slash season if needed? And I think our answer to the playing jesus out wide question i think alludes to what we think here but seb what do you make of it
1: i think it's unrealistic to expect a team to have one rotation player that is as capable of playing a certain pro- role to the ability of the starter and it's also uh, unrealistic for him to accept the role he's been given if that were to be the case. So you're just having too many players sit outside for too long if they're only ever going to come in for one specific reason. That's why I think having players of a certain technical quality and certain physical quality that we require in the team that are able to fill multiple positions ably and not come in and sort of devalue that role slightly, like we've seen with Holding, who's a good player but just stylistically doesn't fit into what we are doing. Um Having 17, 18, 19 of those types of players who are able to have different characteristics about them which then would allow Arteta to problem solve within a season, not just within one sort of very specific tactical setup, but to tweak it slightly depending on who we're playing would be the ideal solution here
2: yeah one thing i, I want to add because i read gab's question a little bit differently i agree with everything seb has said but i think one of the aspects is looking at maybe obviously maybe seb what you're saying is that there shouldn't really be a s- definite starting a lineup and it, it's more of a combination of different players with different qualities to use um okay here's the one thing is i think it's not it's not a a set rule for all the all the players or roles or positions in the squad i think sometimes you need to have really you know you don't need to have the same sort of profile but you want to have as good a player as good a replacement yeah. also allows you tactically to change things up but then i think there are certain roles where you want even if it's a downgrade in quality somewhat you want that profile replaced because they're very important to how the team plays so i think one we can look at is with gabby j when he went eddie came in great player actually better versus certain defenses in certain situations in certain contexts right yeah. but we did suffer the system suffered with eddie playing there trossard came in when he was playing nine the system kind of rejuvenated itself somewhat even the trossard is a downgrade on gabby in most respects i think he brought a lot out um so it's one of those decisions but then sometimes i think personally i think eddie's probably a better player than trossard i i don't think that's like unarguable at all, but that would maybe be my take. Um, <laughs> I'm seeing shock from um, Seb, but but allow me to finish my point. Um, the other one I think is Saliba, and I've been thinking. I think the most important thing that we can do defensively this season, because how important Saliba was to our backline in terms of how we positioned our backline, how we defended, how we complemented the rest of the team is actually, even if it's a slight downgrade, actually being able to replace that profile. We're not City, we can't just get someone who's as good and can eventually replace, you know, just every season, replace Saliba or whatever. But having someone who maybe is just a downgrade, I mean, I've spoken about Agbudu on my, my account as someone who I think has similar qualities to Saliba, some quite, some different, but ultimately a similar profile, which I think would be important to just slot in when Saliba is injured, for example, and then the system can operate as it is. But in other respects, maybe with the fullbacks, you want equally good but different types of profiles, like Kivio versus Zinchenko at left-back, for example, if Kivio was to play left-back.
1: Yeah. So a framing
0: of this that our friends over at Devils in the Details um, United fan podcast use that I think is quite useful, especially when talking about defenders and defensive defend, defenders midfielders deep milk deep build up players is talking about like a kind of baseline technical quality that you need to be able to play the kind of possession football that high level teams play uh by which they and i mean being able to receive comfortably under pressure and turn on the ball, and play good passes, and just keep the ball while under pressure. Uh, I I think, especially when looking for a Saliba replacement, that's kind of what we're on about, right? Like, holding can't, couldn't really do that, and that made us really suffer on the ball when he wasn't there.
2: So, particularly with regards to Saliba, I was actually, I look at Agabudu, he is very good technically, um, in a different way to, to Saliba. Um, but also very good technically. But I was actually talking about being able to play that sweeper role that I think is quite mm. important and having two of those. So I actually didn't mean it as a technical base, but I wouldn't even be considering Agbadoo if he didn't have that technical base yeah, to exactly. be able to play that's into what I, the side. That, 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 yeah. That's
0: what I mean. Like, we kind of... In, instead of needing, like, low, like, 22 players, two of each exact thing, it's, like, we're going to need... 16, 17, 18 players that all have this baseline technical quality, and then have their own traits on top of that where we can sub in and out. So, like, maybe a couple of them are Saliba-style sweeper defenders, but if there's a sweeper defender that doesn't have the baseline technical quality, that's a non-starter.
2: Yeah, yeah I agree. I, um, I I assume they were probably talking about Wonder Saka. <laughs> this just sounds like... They they, they were <laughs> talking about their whole build-up, so
0: they were talking about um, their scent, like... They they said that like Harry Maguire because he's currently lacking a lot of confidence doesn't meet that baseline. Yeah, for I
2: think I think it goes without saying that you and it's probably it's probably the first big interview that Arteta did in his first postseason was speaking about needing to bring in a technical base that every player has, and I think we've seen him really prioritise that with everyone he's signed. I think I agree. For for a top club, you need a certain level of technique in every single player. Um, especially when you're wanting to dominate, wanting to control games. It just doesn't have to be the same type of like technical expertise, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Or tech or technical profile, let's say rather. So someone like Zinchenko and Kivio are very different but in terms mm-hmm. of their profiles, but both have a high level of technical ability that means that they can play in our system and contribute towards it. Yes. Gab also talked about
0: using different profiles to swap styles mid game or mid season. Uh, and I think do want to link that back to what, Alex, you were talking about with um, Gabby Jesus and how we don't want our attack to become stale in terms of the roles that we have. Like, we don't just want to have the wingers be the goal scorers, the centre forward be the facilitator. It's useful to have different profiles that can play in different roles so that our attacking structure doesn't get stale and easy to find out by opposition.
2: Yeah, I agree. I think I think that's the big challenge for Arteta next season because I think the problem personally the problem more comes from his tweaks than the personnel we had. I think obviously we still have a way to go with having that personnel that can do anything and you can change it however, you know, with all those options off the bench. But I think as I was saying, it's frustrating to see us not even use Gabby J in different ways. And I think I think that's what we need to see from Arteta next season with His rotations from the start for certain games and then also substitutions to tweak within um, would be what I want to see from him.
0: Okay, I think we've answered that one quite thoroughly. I'm quite happy with that. So we will now look at Jake's question. Jake asks, how much of this post-Saliba slash post-Liverpool fall-off can be attributed to Arteta and his seemingly regressing ability with substitutions and rotations? players on too long, players never on at all, Infrequent cameos until they had to become saviours, etc. Is this a worry with Champions League football next year? Alex, as you've already mentioned some of your frustrations with Arteta's changes, I'm going to let you just go at this one.
2: <laughs> to be honest, I don't think I have too much more to add because I think this, is, this has been my fixation for a couple of weeks, but I think Arteta's... Not always, but largely been pretty poor with his substitutions over his his short career, um, which has entirely been with us. But it is a worry with UCL next year. I think the one thing that people have always used to kind of defend him, I have, is that in the past, less so the seasons, that we haven't had the options to bring on. I think we do have the options at the moment and we should, with the right recruitment next year, have the options. So I think that'll be really when we make our toll especially because UCL is now suddenly not this thing where you roll out the B team to play Olympiacos you know on a Thursday night now we'll be going up against I don't know Bayern Munich perhaps you know Real Madrid impossible well we'll see we'll see once we get to the the quarterfinals the the Champions League has always had a way of of having us face Bayern at some point. I thought you meant group stage. Honestly. No, I did. I did. I <laughs> forgot. Because we're in part two because yeah. Juventus suck. Um, so <laughs> they can <laughs> hold that. <laughs> but but yeah, let's say Real Madrid then or Barcelona. It's suddenly a much... You know, it's very different. There isn't now going to be this first team. You know, you're not going to pay your B team versus Real Madrid because even if you're not prioritizing it, guys like Saka and Odegaard are going to be looking towards playing these games. But they're also going to want to be playing in the Premier League. So... I think this is really going to be the ultimate test of Arteta and something we haven't seen him challenged with as of yet.
1: Yeah, I I fully agree with that. I think it's not just a, a sort of regressing thing. I think it's been a trend over multiple seasons now. Like, I think there's this sort of unspoken loyalty that he tries to have towards his players, which means once they start not performing at the level they should be, he... Tries to play them, uh, play them through it. It's the same thing that happened with Lacazette last season, where or, it Obe was Yang, clearly Yang not working. Aubameyang until he was forced one way or another to change it, right? Like, uh, right, like with uh, Lacazette getting injured and Eddie immediately playing well at nine. Um,
2: and it goes before that. We can think Willian. Before that, yeah, there's be, there have been a number of examples where it's it's looked stale. It hasn't worked. Um. Until he's been almost forced to make this change, which exactly. is fine. Like, he can really. The embodiment it. of
1: that was like Boxing Day
2: 2021. Yes. Right? Like, Smith Rowe. Everyone <laughs> is
1: ill, and we have to play Smith Rowe and Martinelli and stumble upon something.
2: <laughs> I just want to say if this part had started a couple of years before, you would have had me complaining weekly about our decision to not sign a 10 that, that summer. Um, yeah. And I think that was proven correct by just having the profile of a 10 play, suddenly we looked like a team that can actually win games. Should I introduce the next question? You can introduce the next question if you want, Alex. The next question is from the ultimate reply guy to our account. Um, Or is it actually, this was a reply guy to me, so let me not say that. (laughs) But we have a question from Alex Towles, friend of the pod. (laughs) And he asks, what do we think of the dog? He's not talking about Martinelli. He's asking about the new (laughs) dog that we signed Boards called win it 's a chocolate Labrador, I believe mm mm-hmm.
0: yeah, so I asked that I asked this jokingly <laughs> on alex 's quote tweet it was a very serious question questions asked um, to try and boost the engagement with the post, and Alex has put it in the dock, so we're answering <laughs> it now, I guess I have. Like, there is a negative space in my brain where my opinion on the dog should be. I is don't. Is this why care. you're asking
2: why you're, what we think yeah, of the dog? Yeah, I want
0: your opinions on the dog. I don't care. Seb, what do you think of the
1: dog?
2: <laughs> I think through the
1: Amazon doc and the sort of behind <laughs> the scenes peak. Mikel Arteta must be stopped from his soft factor work with Arsenal. It's so much from uh, Thomas Edison light bulb uh, inspirations to the word unity spelled with Arsenal players to, to a dog literally named Win. I think at some point <laughs> you're just doing things because you want to do things, right? But I'm also disappointed in the club because we have not seen a single picture of Win and uh, we if haven't... you refuse us dog content, then I'll get angry.
2: Maybe the admin is a cat person. <laughs> <laughs> but my my opinion on Win is I assume it's short for Winnie. Uh, it is a female dog. Beyond that, I think Chocolate uh, chocolate Labrador was a good pick, but a bit bland. I would have liked to see us maybe get like Something get a bit fancier with it, maybe like a, a husky or a or an airedale, something like that would have been would have been lovely to see. But but overall, no complaints. I'm I'm happy with the dog. I'm looking forward to seeing its impact next season. I think we need to give it a bedding in period. See how it does after post after preseason.
1: I do like that Michael Arteta is now sort of the unofficial uh, interior designer of London Colony.
2: I also I also like it that and then in any way the club can appreciate (laughs) Saka through the remaining walls it has to paint him in some way it's good vibes i'm fully in support of it
0: our final question um is the most important question that we have been asked in our time on pot shot so far sav asks top three types of bean brackets individually not a group effort now, Alex, I know you've put in hours, days of research in order to give an adequate answer to this question. So I'm going to go to you first.
2: Okay, so I have I have three lined up here. I've, I've thought across the categories. My number one was I chose butter beans because I make a very good butter bean curry, uh, butter bean and spinach curry. It's very very good. Secondly, I chose edamame beans. Um, I think they're quite delicious. They go into um, Pokeballs, if you guys have ever had Pokeballs. It's a perfect addition. And then lastly, this is my rogue pick. I chose coffee beans because I drank quite a bit of coffee. So I thought it would be a bit of a snub to leave out coffee beans. Seb, what are your top three beans? I think
1: there's three essential beans here. That's (laughs) the green bean, the kidney bean,
2: and the coffee bean. okay. Okay. I'm surprised of all the beans we just shared. Coffee bean, but fair. What is the green bean? Just regular green beans. I don't They're know if we have green beans. I-, I don't know green beans. Are you talking about like peas? Basically. Okay. Towels, what I- what is your three? What are your three? Runner bean.
0: Green bean. Which is basically just also a runner bean. And baked bean. That is... Pretty- particularly british quite
2: that is quite (laughs) offensively british i'm so i wanted to know uh, though is because i kept searching up are chickpeas beans because if chickpea is a bean then i just thought of it as as a legume but if it's a bean then i might have to knock off maybe coffee beans Mm. because chickpeas are quite fantastic
0: i don't like coffee which is why coffee beans don't make mine (laughs) and you ran out of other beans you had to choose two types of green beans fair yeah um I, so, with baked beans, um, my, uh, a few friends of mine from uni had, like, basically an in-joke where there was one, like, tin of, like, some supermarket own-brand baked beans that kind of just got passed around the friendship group for a while, that, like, they someone was like oh do you have any beans that I could use and just gave them the can of beans ended up not using it and then it got given to someone else and then got given to someone else and this went on for like about a year while I was at university and so uh, like it was like just like have you got the beans yes I've got the beans (laughs) Uh, it it, it was quite yeah it was quite funny Um, a worthy enough story that's why baked beans Make it into my list.
2: This doesn't change that you're disgustingly British, but it's a worthy yeah. story. It's a worthy story nonetheless.
1: We should mention that before the show, uh, Alex Towers had uh, poured himself a pint of Pepsi. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what the problem
0: of this is. I had a pint glass. I filled it with Pepsi. I don't, this is like behind the scenes stuff. What What would you prefer me to say? I had like what 489 milliliters of Pepsi. I just generally lie. If I was having
2: 489 milliliters of Pepsi, I would just say, I'm having a bit of Pepsi, a glass. I don't know. Yeah, Yeah, it's a glass
0: of Pepsi, (laughs) but it's in a pint glass, so it's a pint. Since
2: we're on this, we should expose Seb for smoking like a cool kid during our pods on occasion. Yeah, Seb will take a big puff of smoke. See, I can't even sound cool enough for for Seb. No. He'll take a big drag. I think they call it a drag, the cool kids before answering some question much better than either of us can. shot sure, could never be
0: one of those podcasts in a professional setting with, like, an office <laughs> or anything, because uh, smoking is no longer allowed in the workplace, and I think Seb is
2: physically unable a- to record a podcast without smoking. A 1960s French philosopher. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I think that's probably the end of our show. Thank you to Nanad, Henry, Paul, Riffwick, and Max for asking questions that we ran out of time to answer. If you want to know why we answered questions about the dog and beans before yours, uh, blame Alex Cullinan. Um His Twitter at is at alexfrco. Sebastian Hun's Twitter is at Eulenberg, Eulenberg. You can find it in the description. Uh, as you can find mine, mine's at Alex Towles. The podcast's Twitter is at Pot Shot Pod. The pod music is made by James Blake. You can find him on all good music platforms at JW Blake. Um, Alex, have you learned that James
2: doesn't make jazz music all the time yet? He has an, an album out or a single out, I believe, so I will be familiarizing myself with our. Our beloved intro music guy. <laughs> uh, and
0: we'll be back for a season review podcast after the Wolves game. See you there.